It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the show. Thanks for being with us. Here with me in the KFG studios, my business partners over at Corhorn Financial Group, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. You know, the student loan crisis is having a serious impact on our economy, and that's probably because it creates some obvious financial challenges for those who are shouldering more debt than they can really even manage right now. And uh, we have folks like Congress and presidential uh, candidates who are proposing things like student loan forgiveness and even making college free. So we're going to be discussing those potential solutions and what it actually means to you in this episode of Wise Money. That's right. At the end of the show, we've got some questions from fans of the show. In fact, we're going to start with a few comments from fans of the show about this very issue. And if you have some, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us a few different ways wisemoneyradio.com is how you find us online. You can submit comments and questions right there on the right. You can also find the blog there. You can reach out to us at KFG if you have any needs or have any questions. You can call or text us, 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. And then all over social media, you can you can find the show that way, and you can submit questions there as well. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, all that sort of stuff. Search Wise Money Show, subscribe to it there, and submit questions there as well. Okay, Josh teed it up, but we have a crisis in America, and uh, and that crisis is Michigan is terrible at football. I mean, just uh, they are so bad. There, didn't you? They're so bad at football. That is a crisis. That hurts my feelings, Mike. Uh, so so Kevin's son is at Michigan. Josh and I are fans, and it's hard to say that, but. That is a crisis. Yeah. yeah. My son is at Michigan, and he's not a fan. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah. having grown up here, he, uh, he, he loves the Irish. So that's a good segue. So, Kevin's got uh, his Irish. middle child is right there at U of M. So, no, really, in all seriousness, the crisis is about student debt and about, about paying for college. And if you look at some of the st- statistics, we'll try – to share just enough to be helpful, but not enough to confuse you today. Um, we do, it's a crisis. We have a problem. We are not on the right trajectory. Just quickly, uh, I've received a couple of comments from fans of the show just within the last month. And Melissa said, the interest has grown, has grown so much that when I went back to making payments after forbearance, I could not afford the payments. And then Leah, another fan of the show, said, after my first year of college, I saw how much debt I was going to be accumulating over four years, and I quickly realized I couldn't afford this. These are This is just recent from fans of the show that have written in and talking about their own situation. So first, how do we get here? And then how do we get out of this student loan crisis? Well, I mean, this has been at least a generation in the making, right? Um, you know, I think we could look back on history and say at one point we could, we could all agree that this was true, that the best way to enhance your earning potential during your working career was start with a college degree. And that's why I think uh, you've shared in the past, Kevin, that your dad 
you know, he drilled it into your head. You will go to college, right? Absolutely. Uh, because it was that important. It was it was a foundation for a, a bright future. And now I, I think I would still say that, but I would add the caveat, it depends on what degree you have. Absolutely. And, you know, part of the reason why we, we can have so many students coming out of school with a degree that isn't paying for itself is because maybe it's so easy to get loans these days. The government a generation ago declared that it is so important that students are able to get uh, a college degree that we're going to make sure we fund it as a nation. And that's why so much of the student loan debt that, that is out there is government guaranteed loans, right? They've made it easy to, easier to get money for school. And that has uh, sent a lot of people to school who maybe a generation or two ago wouldn't have, wouldn't have had access to the funding to be able to pull that off. Here's the, here's the difficult thing and why this is a crisis, but also a, a tough debate, not an easy problem to solve, is offering student loans to anyone is a way of providing opportunity, mm-hmm. right? So, so you want to have as uh, you want to have opportunity to go pursue and get an education and, and get the career that you want. The problem is pursuing that opportunity can often lead many people into bondage. And, and their lack of opportunity. And we're seeing that statistically with some of these. Um, okay, so uh, da, 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 there's 1.5 trillion. Trillion. With a T. That's 1.5 thousand billions. All wow. right. The student loan delinquency or <laughs> default rate astounding. is 11.4%. I mean, that's the thing, the credit worthiness. If this was an auto loan, uh, banks would no longer submit loans for, right. for cars. And yet we, we are still doing it. The, um, the number uh, or the uh, amount of, the, of borrowers that are currently in default, they haven't made a payment. They're supposed to make a payment. They're not in deferral. They're supposed to have made a payment, and they haven't made one for at least a year. It's 5.1 million struggling souls out there. Wow. And so this is, I, I am all for equal opportunity. I, I am. But you need to be careful about not putting, not pursuing opportunity and walking right into bondage. Well, think, compare a student loan to getting a loan to start a business. If you marched into a bank and said, hey, I've got a great idea. I want to start this business. They're going to ask for a business plan right? They want it to be proven. You know, show me that you've thought through how this investment is going to launch you into a successful enterprise of some sort. And if, if they're convinced, then they will make the loan. But these days, you don't really have to do that kind of forethought, that type of planning when it comes to getting a college education. You can show up not even really knowing what you want to study. You can change your mind on what you study many times. You could extend your college career because of something like that. And ultimately, there, there are many folks who graduate from college and they, they don't know how that investment is going to yield any kind of results. A, a business uh, loan would, would never get approved in a case like that. And I, I at least, for, I'll speak for my own kids, I want them thinking, if you're going to go to college, and I hope you do, I hope that you're making an investment in your future so that any money you pay to that college, whether it's borrowed or earned money up front, I want you thinking that this is an investment that has to pay for itself. Mm-hmm. Have a plan, in other words. Yeah. Think of it more as that potential business owner trying to get funding for a, a new company. 
I, can I can I take another leap here and say it's not just you've got to there's got to be a pause and look at well how are you going to turn this investment into a profitable business right and, and that business plan that Josh's talking about or looking scrutinizing the career choice and saying well will this be able to provide enough income that justifies this cost what if we just look at paying for college differently. I agree that we do need to scrutinize and, um, and, and make sure you're not going headlong into debt for a degree, for, for a career that really won't allow you to make those payments. I have a friend of mine who's a, a law professor at Notre Dame and said, unfortunately, Notre Dame has sort of priced themselves out of educating someone who just wants to be a hometown estate planning attorney. Right. And go back to their small town. They're just you just can't make enough money doing that to justify paying for that. But I, what about the the way you pay for college? And I mean, Kevin, you sacrificed. You shared this last time on uh, last week's episode. You sacrificed tremendously so that you could afford college. I did not the same sacrifice as you. Not even close. And I know Joshua did as well. So have we have we really explored every opportunity to sacrifice and do the grinding to make sure we pay for college appropriately? Yeah, and the and the issue if if you subsidize something you get more of it, if you tax something you get less of it. And so by subsidizing the cost of college through the um, college loans, what we've gotten is the 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 debt load is up to 1.56 trillion, but the costs have gone up so incredibly high. Right. When I was going to school, paying your way through college was within reach. Mm-hmm. That was a possibility. Really, the, it's almost not a possibility these I, days. I might argue with you a, a, a touch there, and um, so we, we've got we've got more to hit here. A couple more stats as to just how staggering this problem is. But then we're going to get into okay, how do you solve it? How do you solve if we've got a national student loan crisis? Josh brought it up. How do we make sure that this isn't a crisis in your household? So we've got that and much more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. What's the solution to the student loan debt crisis? Is it just to forgive everyone's loans? Is that is that what we should do? And if you're on the cusp of sending a child to college right now and you've got some money or some cash flow that you would, you would uh, otherwise put towards that, do you get loans instead because we might forgive all of them? Mm, that's what we're talking about today. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being with us. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. For updates on all Wise Money content, you'll find it online, wisemoneyradio.com. And then all over social media, wherever you're at, we're there too. Just search the Wise Money Show. Submit questions that way. You can catch the blog. You can catch previous episodes and all the content we're pushing out. Wisemoneyradio.com and then everywhere on social media, the Wise Money Show. All right, guys. Seriously, we're taught we just it's it's not quite campaign season, but it sort of mm-hmm. always feels like it is. There's a whole bunch of talk about solutions to this problem being we'll just forgive everyone's loans. 
Now, I uh, Josh is shaking his head if you're not watching the YouTube channel. Um, the struggle that I have immediately when I heard that I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, if I've got student loans, I might love that idea. Physically, as a country, we're kind of <laughs> in a whole ball of wax anyway. So I don't know what that does for us. But if I've got a, a, a student going to college, that's, that was the first thing that came to mind. Okay, well, if I'm sending Caleb to Michigan, do uh, I just get loans then? Because the government's going to bail me out. I'm not going to. I'm working hard for this money. I've worked hard to put this money in a 529 plan. Should I just get loans instead because they might all be forgiven? What do you guys think? I think if I was one of the 15%, I'd be really upset. And because there were 400 students at Morehouse College that graduated. And there was a billionaire, Robert F. Smith, that did the commencement address. And he said, I'm paying off all of your student loans. I'm paying off the ones that you took out, your parents, your guardians, everyone took out. And there was about $34 million worth of student loans that he signed up for to pay off. But about 15% of those students didn't have student loans. Can you imagine? Like you worked your tail off, your mom's working three jobs, your dad's working two jobs, everyone's working to get you through school. You get through school, you don't have any debt, and you're sitting there, and, and, and the guy comes to tell you, hey, listen, you know, go out and change the world. And he says, hey, listen, I'm going to reward all of you who borrowed a bunch of money to do this thing by paying off your debt. And I think that that is the dilemma. It, it, it changes. And, of course, Santa Claus will get the votes every time. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I tell you, hey, I'll give you this, I'll give you this, I'll give you this, 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 you're going to vote for me. And, I, and again, I, I, I get the idea of making it easier for those who have a harder time to, to, to uh, have a harder um, road ahead. But, but the interesting thing that our government does is sometimes give benefits for some um, – I'm not going to say bad behavior, but isn't it yeah. interesting? Have you ever thought of why do we get a, hazard, right? how do we get a tax deduction for mortgage interest? Why why don't we get a tax deduction for having a debt free house? Yeah. And so this is one of those other moral hazards, confusing things, conflicting messages that we want to make sure you don't apply the wrong way. Exactly. You you don't want to be sitting in that audience thinking, "I wish I had borrowed money so that I would get a freebie," right? right. Because if you're going to go borrow money and just hope that it will magically be wiped out, either by some billionaire or some politician, you know, with a stroke of a pen, all of a sudden there's a new law, right? Uh, to me, that's, that's almost training your child to start thinking at, at the very beginning of adulthood to start looking for someone else to give them a handout, someone else to solve their problems, someone else that will meet their needs. And that, to me, that sounds like parent-child again, yeah, right? You're yeah. trying to get your children ready for adulthood where they are self-sufficient, they are productive, they're a contributor, a giver, not a taker, right? And to me, to, to think in terms of, well, I got to hedge my bets. I, I probably should borrow some money just in case there's some freebies down the road that it could get wiped out. It's the wrong way to approach life, not just college. Yeah, it starts with I'm not doing my homework because I'm sure we're going to have a snow day tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That came off your tongue way too easy, Kevin. Okay, the other thing that I would tell you is in the midst of all of this debate and with the politicians and so on, 
Um, I, you know, you don't believe everything you read on the internet, but I've been, I was doing some research for this and, um, apparently I saw this statistic. I have no idea if this is accurate, but my, my personal experience suggests that it, it's probably closer to the truth than not. 99% of those who apply for the current student loan forgiveness programs get denied. So it's, if there if there is a forgiveness program that that is important for us to have as a country, then let's make sure that it's the right program and that those programs work and they don't they don't send mixed messages. So instead of campaigning about I'm going to give everyone the freebie and relieve um, uh, student loans for everyone, let's just have our current programs work. Make sure that those are working, and uh, that. To me, we got to start talking about that before we introduce new policies. Yeah, and and the big difference between Robert Smith paying off thirty-four million dollars of student loans for the Morehouse College graduates, and the government saying, "Hey, we're going to pay off the one point five six trillion or whatever the program would be," um, Robert Smith had the money. Right. I mean that that is the problem: is that as a country, we're already twenty plus trillion in debt. So if, if we approach this the way that you're approaching things in your own household, you would sit down and you'd say, well, we'd like to do this. Okay, well, we'd like to pay off everyone's student loans. Uh, we don't have the money. So if we don't have the money, we're not going to do it. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. And the government is effectively borrowing to cover it and bringing all your neighbors into the, in, into the cause as well, right? The, the difference between a billionaire choosing to make a generous gift. I mean, what, what an amazing act of kindness there. Mm-hmm. But that's different than taxpayers bringing all that responsibility onto their shoulders because of political action. Mm-hmm. It becomes public debt at that point. Yep. And maybe it's easy to say for a politician when, when our national debt is in the tens of trillions, why not throw another one and a half trillion on the pile and we just collectively all magically make student loans go away for an entire generation? Why not? Hmm. Uh, the, the problem is we're, we've become desensitized to just how big a trillion dollars is and how hard that will be to pay off. Yeah, but the other problem is it doesn't solve the problem. It's like the person that refinances their house. If I refinance my house and pay off all my credit cards, but I don't deal with my spending problem, that the problem still exists. All right. So that's the segue. We, we, there's, there's, three, there's three of you listening. Those of you who... Um, my parents, your parents, <laughs> and Josh. No, quite literally, there's three of you listening. No, no, no. There's, so there's, you're listening in, in one of three camps um, that you've never had student loans and, um, and maybe are about to go to college or about to watch a niece or nephew go to college or about to watch your son or daughter go to college and you, you're thinking, how do I navigate this thing so that I don't create a crisis in my household? Then there's those of you that currently have student loans and maybe it's not a crisis for you, but you've got them and you got to figure out what to do with them. And then there's there's the others where, yeah, you're listening to this and um, boy, it might all sound good, except you can't even breathe because you're suffocated by your student loans. So 
I want to, I want to inject hope into each of those situations. We all do. So we joined the debate here. You get to hear some of our personal values and how we view the world, and and hopefully that sharpens your thinking and and challenges your thinking and helps us all get to a higher level of thinking. But now, what do you do if you're in one of those situations? Um, the first, and, and we're going to need to have this carry over. But the first is. If, if you've got a son or daughter going to college or a niece or nephew going to college or you yourself um, are, are going to college, I would tell you, do not rely on student loans. Do not rely that even though that's what everyone's doing and that seems like the only way to get it done, it's not. It's not. And you could choose to go to a community college, stay at home. I, we were talking over the break. If that was the program for me this today, I just I wouldn't go to Michigan State. I'd go to Grand Rapids Community College and I would work and pay for that and live at home. right? We've got We've got a lot more to talk about with this so that you can know what your next steps are wherever you're at. That and more coming up here on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. If you have a child or a niece or a nephew or you yourself are on the verge of going to college, how do you pay for it? How do you pay for it and make sure that you don't become part of the statistic that is this student loan crisis epidemic that's going through America right now? We're going to help you with that. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being with us. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me, as always, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. want to remind you, every episode of The Wise Money Show is on our YouTube channel. Just search The Wise Money Show on YouTube, subscribe to it, and hit the bell for content. One of the things that you get with that on the YouTube channel, we just turn the cameras on at the beginning of the show, and we just record everything through the breaks. Uh, This episode, probably more than any other, except when... Ron Paulus was on uh, the the uh, the breaks uh, for the podcast and for the radio um, have been filled with a ton of bonus content, a ton. And so I'd encourage you check us out on YouTube, Wise Money Show. Sign up for notifications. And this is a controversial topic, so make sure you're commenting below. All right, for the folks that aren't yet in college or have a child that's not yet in college, how do you make sure you're not part of this crisis? Boy. It, that has to be uh, planning ahead, right? I mean, this is a show about financial planning. It's about preparation and knowing if if this is a goal that you're going to participate in the funding of your child's college education, then you need to have a game plan well in advance. And uh, most people, here's the reality. Uh, Kevin made the comment in an earlier segment that it's a lot harder these days to be able to work your way through school. And some have actually kind of ruled it out as even something that they want their kids to do. I don't want my kids to have to work while they're going to school. That was hard for me. Yeah, it was hard for you, and it was good for you, too. And it's also their way of contributing to the cause. So maybe the, coming up with how you're going to piece together a game plan, what, what role will scholarships play? What role will your own funding out of cash flow pl- play? Uh, how much should your son or daughter actually contribute to the cause while working through school or in the summers, that kind of thing? And maybe 
maybe student loans have to play a role somewhere. Mm-hmm. But student loans are the first place that the financial aid officer is going to go to. And that should be the last place that you go to, in that's my opinion. That's the message. Yeah, that's that's the message. And don't hear us talk from our ivory tower here, actually in a basement that's really dark, um, <laughs> about, about, hey, we're too good and this is all the stuff you should do. No, the struggle is real. I, we, we get it. We've all been through it. And we've sacrificed each of us to different degrees, of course, because our lives are different to, to pay for college and get out of student loan debt. So don't don't hear this as an uninformed or inexperienced, um, uh, you know, communicator. But don't be of in. And again, our job is not to make value judgments. And so we're not. But don't be a fearless borrower. Right. And those when I when I meet a fearless borrower, whether they're a business owner or a college student, I just think, man, um, Sometimes that works out. Sometimes that's okay. But a lot of times the, um, the goodness that you get up front from that loan creates multiples of pain beyond that. And it's so hard. I mean, how long do you want to pay for what you did in college? Yeah. Um, I'm still paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so... I would, I would also, I, I'd, re, I'd rethink community college. I'd rethink staying at home. Um, I'd rethink work. I'd rethink work in the summer. I, I would, um, there's a, and, and, I, and, and any of those things, well, it's like, it, well, it's keep, not as fun as going away to school. I know, but neither is being a slave to this debt. Well, that keep, is not fun. And keep right on going. I would rethink dual credit, dual enrollment, yep. getting through um, at Edwardsburg, they've got a five-year plan in conjunction with Southwest Michigan College where at the end of the five years um, of high school, in essence, you, you walk and graduate with your class, but you do an extra year. You've got an associate's degree. I mean, so there are all, there are all kinds of programs that you need to get out and, and figure out and explore. If you say, hey, listen, my goal is to not have debt. Because I can tell you this, the 1000 bucks a month that we're paying the University of Michigan for Caleb to stay in a little postage stamp dorm room and eat their food, we wouldn't charge him that much. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so his ability to get through school without any debt would be um, dramatically different if he was staying home. It's a fine school, though. It's a fine school. Okay, so for those of you who have some student loan debt right now and you're wondering what's your posture towards this, do you are you aggressive at it? Or, oh, there's some tax benefits for having it. Really, you know, and my payment is only this. So, you know, what do I do with this thing? Very quickly, what do we say? Boy, get aggressive after it would be the, the short answer. Crush that thing. Yeah, it, but I would say... In this is a, a a tired old saw. I'd say have a plan, yeah. because you might need to. Because in a vacuum, anything makes sense. So in a vacuum, double, triple, quadruple your payments. But you might need to be paying something else off, and so I would say build the budget in layers and know how much of of every paycheck goes towards these things. But don't think. Um, hey, I've got 15-year student loans, and uh, I'm going to get aggressive and get those paid off in 10. No, 
no, I've got 15 year student loans and they're going to be paid off in three. And and you say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't let me live. That means I can't go to the concert. I can't go camping up north. I can't do it. You're right. You're right. You you pick up one end of the stick, you pick up both ends of the stick. Again, I'm not making a value judgment. I'm just telling you that you're, and I had this conversation with a good friend um, who graduated, got a nice job out in Washington, D.C., got a good chunk of student loans, and was saying, hey, listen, I want to go to the concert this weekend. And I said, your 30-year-old self is begging you to um, stay home, invest in your career, and not spend that money. Use that money to pay off that that debt. I mean, Josh, just really quickly, I mean, that was sort of your your story, right? Yeah. I mean, that was the challenge that Kevin gave to me when I was 22 or 23 years old because I came out of out of school with some loans and it was about 18,000, which was a lot it, it felt like a lot more um at the time than what that number resonates with uh, us today, but um Boy, if the average student that just graduated a year ago has just shy of thirty thousand dollars of student loans and a payment of just shy of four hundred a month, mm-hmm. that's a burden, right? And we're actually suggesting that, like I did, per Kevin's recommendation, I was making basically triple payments, maybe more. Actually, it was more like five times the payment that I actually was required to make. And we got the we got the debt wiped out in a year and a half's time, and that that's not anything magical about us earning a lot. That was when we were earning the least amount of money in our lifetime. It was a tough year and a half, and yet it was one of the best years and a half. We sacrificed along the way, but what about the year and a half that came after that? Mm-hmm. The things that that allowed us to do to be able to buy a house faster than maybe some of our peers and to just get some financial security and put financial worry in the rearview mirror. That's what happens when you eliminate debt aggressively. And, uh, and your your first house wasn't a starter house. I yeah, mean, that, right. that, that was, I mean, some of the positioning. If you're suffocated by this student loan right now, these, these debts, and I, I, the story that I've seen for the people that it's really been an avalanche on them is the folks that have had some difficulty after college, either getting a loan or, or excuse me, getting a job or need to go in forbearance. And then all of a sudden that interest is accruing and this payment has just blossomed and the balance has just blossomed. What's the message? Boy, I, my heart goes out to those folks, but I, the, the warning signs that I would give you is it, it comes from uh, seeing some folks who are 30 years into their career and still paying on student loans because there was a stretch in there where it was easier to put it into forbearance than it was to do the hard work and make the sacrifices, maybe make some some dramatic and bold decisions like changing where you live or um, you know maybe not driving as nice of a car, that kind of thing, changing careers if you even had Working to. Working a second job. There's big sacrifices ahead of you. They're not going to be fun this is where I would encourage you to get a coach because you're mm-hmm. going to need someone else nudging you and pushing you in the right direction. Not that's going to come and make everything magically go away, but will help guide you to the right sacrifice and help you build build a plan and encourage you along the way. I would encourage you in that struggle. All right? We've got a lot more coming up, a couple great questions from fans of the show. That and more coming up here on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group.
This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Thank you so much for being with us today. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard here with me in the KFG studios at the world headquarters of Corhorn Financial Group. Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. If you've missed anything and you love podcasts, whether you're working out or doing yard work or raking leaves or whatever it is, and you like listening to podcasts, you'll find the Wise Money Show there. Just search the Wise Money Show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'd encourage you to subscribe to it so you automatically get every new episode of the Wise Money Show. And then I'd also encourage you to rate the show and list some comments as well. Not only does that help us, it helps other people find the content as well. All right, we're transitioning into questions from fans of the show. Mary's 56 from Elkhart. She submitted the first question today. Here's what she said. How much of your cash reserve should you use as a down payment on your next house? The interest on a mortgage is higher than the interest that I'm earning in my savings account. Great question, Mary, and great dilemma, it, right? Yep, it, it absolutely is. I'll give a quick answer and then an explanation. I, I say none. None of your emergency funds should go into a down payment on your house. And, and here's why. If you have a disciplined approach to what that emergency fund's purpose is in your life, it is there to prevent you from becoming poor, to, to having a major crisis that you can't handle. It's there to put distance between you and emergency borrowing, ultimately. And so we think of an emergency fund, which... You know, the rules of thumb out there are, are you need to have three to six months worth of your living expenses on the sidelines in a do not touch account, earning a respectable amount of interest, but probably not, as you said, earning as much interest as what your mortgage will cost you. But that's okay because the point of that money is accessibility. And the reason we frame it in, a, in time, number of months, is because the number one emergency that we're trying to protect against or be prepared for is what if there was an interruption to your income? You know, a, a disability, an injury, a job change, job loss, whatever. But also, I consider e potential emergency uses to be major car repairs, major home repairs, which is obviously important if you're buying a new house, uh, major health expense, you know, maybe something that goes above and beyond just the normal deductible and now you're into the maximum out-of-pocket expense on your, your policy in a year, or maybe even a death in the family. There's a funeral or something that you need to have expenses for. These are all tragic things that you go through life not thinking you're ever going to face. And what if you face it right after buying that new house and you've drained part of your emergency fund? At a time when you're borrowing massive amount of money to buy that house, you're increasing your exposure to things that can go wrong in your life. And that's why the emergency fund becomes even more important. So it's not about the interest rate that you're earning or costing yourself on that mortgage. Yeah, and it's also, Mary, thanks for the question. It's a great question. Um, it's, it's also not about a rule of thumb because there is an aggressive approach to this and there's a conservative approach to this. And so I look at this and I say there are a number of other factors. And part of the, the thing is, how much money do I need in cash reserves? You have to have a great answer for that question. Because if most of my income is already spent, 
I need a considerable amount in cash reserves. If most of my income isn't already spent, I don't need as much in cash reserves. If you're asking about a down payment and your down payment is 3% on the next house, I would say you, you've you got some, you want to get as conservative as you can, not as aggressive as you can. If you've got, it, it depending on the house that you're buying, if you can put 50% down, you may want to just get a home equity line of credit and have access to the, the extra equity in there. And you might be able to get a little more aggressive with how much you do or don't need in your cash reserves. So there's all kinds of different scenarios and different factors that go into this decision. And so it's it's tempting to say, well, just give me the give me the rule of thumb. And in finances, your personal finances are not should not be governed by rules of thumb. Rules of thumb are helpful and they're I would say they're guidelines that get you in the ballpark as far as what might make sense. But everyone's financial life and financial situation is different. And so you want to be working with your financial coach who can look and say, hey, but think about this on the horizon. You've got this coming, right? You've got a child that's going to be going to college that we haven't been planning for or fill in the blank. We've got this thing that you need to be preparing for. Or, hey, listen, the deck is clear. Uh, go for it. Let's 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 get a little aggressive with this. Mm-hmm. And but you you certainly want to understand what the range of options are, and then how would I make that decision? The interesting thing, I, I think this, I agree with both of you. So so Josh wants to encourage you to remember the purpose of this emergency fund and and the special role that it plays in your life, which is not just. Um, yielding you some sort of interest or avoiding some interest. It plays a very special role. But then Kevin said, it's re- the answer is really based on your financial plan and everything that you're juggling and what your goals are in your entire situation. If I were to take a look at this question from a different angle, I do also see that there's, there's the posture towards paying down your your mortgage to build up equity, sometimes people don't consider that when they look at upgrading the house. Well, I've just been making my normal payment on my starter home. I knew it wasn't a forever home, but now we want to go to the next one because our income's higher. Yeah, but you're, what you're actually going to get from your existing house, there's not enough equity really to put down on that next house to get yourself the smallest mortgage or the smallest interest rate, avoid PMI and so on. And so in a vacuum, everything makes sense. But in your starter home, it's not just about the mortgage payment you can afford. You got to be cognizant of your equity. And so I think for Mary, we're not talking about a starter home here. I don't know how much equity you have in your existing house. I don't, we don't know any of that stuff, but it's just one of the things that I see a lot where people aren't really cognizant when they're trying to climb the ladder with the next house is, is what their equity is and how much of that can go down in the house. So just be be aware, be careful with that. All right, Jerry's uh, 64 from Goshen. He's got the next question here. I'm close to retiring, but not exactly sure when it's best for me to be done. I'll be eligible for Medicare in the next nine months. Should I wait until then? Ooh, good question, Jerry. So 
we're, uh, forgive me, Jerry, f for answering this question, and thank you for the question, but I'm going to answer it in a vacuum. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Wait. If you can, wait. If you can, it will likely be better. And you would be surprised if you did a very granular analysis at how much of a difference those next nine months will make in your financial life. The last months that you work have the biggest impact on your financial life by far. It's not even close. So, Jerry, I know nine months, uh, depending on what you're doing, it might seem like an eternity. If you can hang on for that eternity, hang on. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to play devil's advocate here because you're absolutely right. I mean, waiting until age 65, you could maybe leave a, a group health insurance plan, go straight on to Medicare. It's a smooth transition. Waiting nine months will allow your Social Security benefits to increase gives your investments more growth. We talk about that all the time with clients, how even just adding one more year or two more years to your working career has this amazing multiplication effect in your life. But every once in a while, I run into a client who um, maybe they can afford to be done at age 64. They have, they have worked hard. They have sacrificed. They have a game plan that allows them to walk away from a paycheck and know that they'll be okay financially for the rest of their life. And sometimes they don't allow themselves the freedom to actually take the leap because they're not age 65 yet. And they just can't stomach the idea of private paying for some health insurance or those COBRA costs, even though they can afford them. Um, they, they just don't want to. Hmm. And so, so I, I would point them back to the same thing that you pointed back on the last question, Kevin, and that is it is dependent upon your financial plan. Mm -hmm. And uh, because we can always say, and the rule of thumb will always be just add a little bit more to your working career because it will be good for you. But then again, what is in alignment with your financial plan? That's what we want to encourage you to take action on. That's right. Great question. Great question. All right. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Kevin Corhorn, Josh Gregory, and all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.